The lion in tweed took the screen door from Half Dollar, who was holding it open for him. Half Dollar whispered. The lion nodded in response. The lion stepped through the wooden door onto the deck, a full flight up from the ground. There was a constant hum of crickets, and far away, foghorns rang like bells hit with pillows, a clear, distinct single note with something of a reverb trail, but just a little soft. Half Dollar began down the stairs, and the lion followed. When the lion reached the bottom of the stairs, he found his sandals soaked through quickly in the damp grass where he and Half Dollar planned to sit in lawn chairs, extracted from the shed charmingly called Lil Gull, relative to the Gull Cottage, which was the main building from which they had just descended. The lion noted with pleasure that the contracted Lil was apostrophed correctly. Half Dollar sat in one of those wooden Adirondack chairs, and the lion sat in the one next. The white paint on the chairs wasn't chipped as much as worn thin, as if scoured by the airborne salt of the Atlantic Ocean that wafted over Peaks Island. Half Dollar took out a Swiss Army knife, one of the classic kind, just a knife, a file, a corkscrew, and a single other tool that the lion couldn't identify, and opened the blade with the feathers of one wing. He extracted a cigar from the pocket of his white button-down shirt. You didn't bring a cutter, so I hope you're happy with a Swiss Army knife. Um, yeah, that's fine, I think, the lion said. Dollar passed the lion a cigar and then began to work on his own, carefully carving out a circle from the end of his cigar. The lion smelled his cigar deeply. The dry outer black of his nose fluttered against the wet black inner nostrils as he inhaled. He didn't really know what he was trying to identify in smelling the cigar, but he saw more seasoned cigar smokers doing it, and he figured eventually he would figure out what to look for. Dollar finished his work and passed the knife handle first to the lion. As the lion began to look the cigar over to identify exactly where and how much to cut, Half Dollar began to work over his cigar and his bill. He held a lit match, never a lighter, to the end of the cigar, slowly turning it. The lion was sure there was a name for this, and his friend Half Dollar almost certainly knew that name. He and Half Dollar, math majors together at Oberlin College when they were young, shared the pleasure of getting luxury choices exactly right, down to the detail. Posting, said Half Dollar, apparently aware that the lion was looking up at his activity and guessing that he was wondering about the word. As Half Dollar said the word, he looked up and opened his eyes wide popping up his eyebrows as if to use them as air quotes. I see, said the lion. The lion finished the mangled end of his cigar and began to toast his as well with a match from the box between them. The crickets hummed. A dog barked. The lion finished toasting and, with a new match, the previous one having grown too short for him to handle comfortably between the pads of his paw, began to light the cigar's end again, drawing into his mouth careful to let the dense, syrupy smoke to settle only on his tongue and in his mouth. The smoke drifted into the air and merged quickly from his perspective with the fog hanging over the ocean in the distance. The foghorns continued to announce their note authoritatively, and somewhere a ship's bell began to ring wildly. I love the foghorns, Dollar. They're great, aren't they? I think it's interesting that they're out of phase. The lion hadn't noticed it, but now that Half Dollar mentioned it, he began to hear that pattern going in and out of sync. It sounded like a Philip Glass piece. 
Okay, have this one note playing every 10 seconds, this one every 11 seconds, and repeat it forever. They listen to the foghorns quietly for a few moments. The lion drew it to his mouth. So how is your work coming along? He asked, exhaling. Well, I have this algorithm for a class of games that I'm trying to solve, um, mm -hmm. and I'm pretty sure it works. I've convinced myself by uh, sort of experimental evidence that it must work, but I don't have a proof yet. So that's what I've been working on. Essentially, I, I know that if the algorithm terminates, it must be reaching the optimal solution for this game. Sure. Since there's only a there's a finite number of um, pure strategies, I I just have to show that it it, it will never cycle. Then I know that it must reach the optimal solution. If I have some some sort of right, I have a monotonicity property. I know that the solutions are improving with each step of the algorithm. So mm -hmm. you know, if it can never cycle, then it must be um, it must be reaching the optimum. So it must so be a, a weak monotonicity, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, I see. I've been stuck in this for a while and hoping uh, it's going to crack any day now. So getting in, stuck in some kind of basically uh, some sort of indifferent, I mean it must be solutions that it's indifferent between, right? That it could implicitly, because if it's strictly preferred then right. you're never stuck. Interesting. Right, exactly. So, yeah, so the, the I'm interested in improving the average value. There are some times when you can't improve the average value, but you, you don't know that you're necessarily at the best average value. Maybe sure. you're just at sort of this local plateau. Sure. But then, so maybe there's some other criterion you can check that does sort of strictly improve to get you out of there. You know what I mean? Sure, 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 sure. Um, so I have, a, I have a handle on what that could be, uh, but I just need to show that it really works, that, you know, that, that there's, that you're never going to, once you've, once you've improved to a certain place, you're never going to cycle back to something that you've already visited so that, you know, which is right. the album wouldn't terminate, but right. I believe that. I have lots of evidence that it does. I mean, I've written code to generate random games mm -hmm. and apply the algorithm to them, and then, you know, do this a lot. <laughs> sure. <laughs> have it yeah, that's, that, that's the curse of simulation. It's like, well, uh, it appears that I can generate, uh, as of right now, a couple million uh, right. runs, and it always works. Right. Um, we can wait longer, and it'll probably be right. more. It reminds me of when I'm, you know, so I've been teaching Calc 1 for a few years now, and sometimes I don't do it a lot because proofs, proofs are not really part of the curriculum, but sometimes in my discussion or something, I'll, I'll ask students about how would you prove some statement, mm -hmm. and oftentimes, you know, a freshman in calculus will answer that by an example. You know, they'll say, well, this isn't a proof. I take this example right. and it it works, so therefore it's a proof. And then I say, well, it's not a proof. Right. Uh, but, but it kind of feels like that. It's sort of like, it, it becomes, it's true that it becomes increasingly convincing the more right. examples you have. Right. But, uh, right. but it's, uh, anyway, certainly it's not going to satisfy these institutions. Right, right. 
Do you think it's too late for us to play a little? Blue and Half Dollar's wife came out onto the deck above and began talking in the night air. I don't think so. Half Dollar put the cigar in his bill and picked up his banjo.
like that. Yeah, I thought that sounded nice. Okay. So when was that? Uh, so where was that conference you went to? Oh, so that was the one in Sao Paulo in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a funny story there. I was um, when we were uh, uh, we were in the main hall and. Uh, Amin was going to give a talk, and he was the only person in the whole um, in the whole conference who, instead of using you know digital slides, he had actual overhead projector slides. Hmm. And so sure. they got up overhead projector, which they put up, and they had one of those uh, projection screens that's portable, so it's like they got a tripod base and then a tall pole with a hook at the top. Sure, sure. So, but it wasn't set up. It was a uh, tripod base was standing there, but the screen was still you know retracted, and the 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 pole was completely in its lowest position. So Amin is going to set up the, the screen. He goes around the back and he starts to be uh, undoes the catch and starts to run the pole up as high as it will go and then fastens it and then comes around the front and immediately, of course, realizes that there's no way that he can hook the screen onto the pole because he's going to put So he puts it back and then he goes around the back and he's like trying to fumble and like the pole is now stuck up and he can't get it so he comes back down. So he's fiddling with it. And then another Nobel laureate I think it was Roger Myers who comes out onto the stage to help, and they're both standing there, like fiddling with this thing, and like you know, Myers is like sort of trying to get the screen up, and Almond is trying to get the pole down, and they're fumbling with it, and so, and, and after like just a you know, like maybe 30 seconds of this, these two maintenance guys who had been waiting in the wings, kind of like watching, like should we interrupt this? Finally, they decide like okay, but now it's the time that they just go out and they're like, okay, they're <laughs> the Nobel laureate out of the way, and the, the maintenance guys are able to do their job because the projector set up. <laughs> it's very fun. Yeah. Very funny. Yeah. That's great. Ah, Nobel Prize laureates. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling that story to somebody recently, and apparently uh, David Letterman used to have some Nobel laureate on, uh, in I think in economics also, uh, come out. And he'd bring his show apparently and read your mama jokes in a monotone. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I've seen it after uh, Letterman, so I don't know who who it was, but never seen it happen. But somebody talked you know, David Letterman guy, now, ladies and gentlemen, go about so and so and this guy would come out in his dead mom. <laughs> That's great. Huh. That's fantastic. Yeah, um, I saw Almond once. Uh, he gave a talk um, uh, that that w- when I was uh, in Israel, I was at Tel Aviv University for a while, um, and he, he came and gave a talk. Um, he had a memorably enormous beard, just yeah. enormous, like yeah. three feet, four feet almost, almost yeah. his entire height. It just maybe it was a little more enormous then. It was it was impressive, but I don't. Re- it wasn't that enormous when he was. I, 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 it, it may have grown in my memory.
sounded great. <clears throat> yeah. So you know chords in A, huh? Tunes, well, I, not necessarily the names of them. Okay. But I know how to, like, I, I just know tunes. Okay, sure. Um, so, so my learning <coughs> is by ear, which I sure. always, I, I, I continually hope to change that, but I, I don't put much effort into it. That's <laughs> yeah, right. I can understand. Uh, what tune should I do? What key is that? Um, it's A. A. Well, I, what I... But it's, but it's a modal. Me neither, uh, to be honest with you. Okay. It's just the word for how I tune my banjo when I play the tune. Um, I'll play the notes. Let's say. Get them all. I like them in the same place. Yeah, I think it's um, Mixolydian mode. I, mean, oh, I, I know what that is. It has a name that um, people know. I know Mixolydian. So when I play D cross harp, I'm playing A mixolydian. That's that, great. That's probably what you should do then. Yeah. Did, cross harp mean? Cross harp means I concentrate on the draw notes instead of the low notes. Do these notes sound like the right ones? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. That was nice. A little bend there. Mm-hmm. Nice. Some more blue. Let's do it.
Thanks for listening to episode 8 of The Lion and Tweed. The Lion and Tweed and Half Dollar play Jeff Tweedy songs and discuss Allman and Meyerson on Peaks Island in Casco Bay. I'm Matthew Burke, and I voice Half Dollar and play the banjo and sing. I'm pursuing my PhD in mathematics with a concentration in game theory at the University of Illinois, Chicago. And I'm Andreas Deuce-Pate. I have my PhD in economics, and I also study some game theory. Andreas and I lived on the same hall freshman year at Oberlin College in northern Ohio and started in the same Calc 2 class, and we took a math class together nearly every semester we were there. We shared a love of mathematics, lefty politics, and music since then. I look forward to playing together again soon, maybe next time in Chicago? That'd be great! My wife Emily and I would like to thank Jim and Gail and Matt and Aradia for inviting us out to their wonderful cabin on Peaks Island and sharing their space and memories of the place. And thanks to a radio for tailoring advice for a project that is under wraps. Here is Jim sharing the main island tradition of dark and stormy. Oh,
Shake my 
They heard a plane land overhead, 